Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide. By your side. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It is Monday morning. It is the last Monday in August. In fact, it is not only the last Monday in August, it's the last Monday that Boris Johnson uh, will be technically the Prime Minister because as of next Monday, uh, he won't. It'll be September the 5th and there'll be either Liz Truss in charge or, uh, heaven forfend, Rishi Sunak. Some people think Rishi Sunak still has a chance of winning. Some people think that not everyone has voted. Some people think uh, that the dying embers uh, of the old treasury will make sure somehow that Sunak gets in charge. But whatever happens, we are well in the doo-doo, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, People are saying they're going to stop heating their homes. People are talking about putting on jumpers. People are talking about not being able to operate as a restaurant uh, or as a hospitality venue due to the excessive amount of money. People are going to be charged to have gas, to have electricity. There is, of course, a genuine cost of living crisis now because people are genuinely concerned, genuinely fearful, and we have still heard little to nothing from anyone inside of Liz Truss's campaign or Rishi Sunak's campaign about how this is all going to be addressed. We'll have to wait till next week, apparently. Oh, really? Well, that's nice for you. Well, let's try and see if we can solve a few problems this week, shall we? We're going to kick things off with Isabel Oakshot, uh, Talk TV's foreign editor, of course, international editor, uh, in fact, to be precise. She's going to be uh, co-hosting Drive this week as well uh, on Wednesday and Thursday. We're also going to talk to Peter Hitchens, uh, who's got plenty to say about what's going on in Ukraine. We're also uh, going to find out from Cyrus Todiwala, who runs a chain of restaurants in this country, just exactly how badly the hospitality business is going to be hit. Pubs are going to be closing down. Saw a pub at the weekend uh, who are now being charged £60,000 a year for gas. It's just not sustainable, is it? 0344 499 1000. We're going to look back at Boris Johnson's time as Prime Minister as well and see what people are going to remember him for. What would you remember Boris Johnson for? We'll take your calls on that as well. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We've got loads going on. And also we're going to go live to NASA, Cape Canaveral. They're launching a moonshot later on today. We'll bring it to you live as it happens, of course, because this is the one place where not only uh, will you have a great time for three hours, but we'll take you to the moon and possibly back. This is Talk TV. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's quite a nice day out there. The summer is still with us, even though some people think as we move into September, we suddenly go into the autumn. I'm not one of those people. I'm still as optimistic as I always am about how we're going to end this, how the government is going to finally step in and just make things cheaper, whether it's a reduction in VAT, whether it's a reduction in the green levies that Liz Truss is promising. But I mean, what can you do about a man, Boris Johnson, who is given as his last kind of message to the Tory party as he departs these parts? Don't give up on green energy. Yeah, well, it's all right for you, mate. But it's not all right for most people. And everybody knows how you're going to reduce people's cost of living. And that is to get rid of this net zero madness. Let's check in with Isabel Oakshot, Talk TV's international editor. Isabel, a very good morning to you. Good morning. And you were talking there about NASA's moonshot. And I just thought, actually, I kind of feel like moving to the moon at this point. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, it might be a little bit of a p- better place to be. I'm, I mean, I'm glad you say that you're feeling optimistic because I really... I'm not feeling optimistic and I want to feel optimistic. Here I am on the Isle of Wight today. It's gorgeous outside. It's pretty blustery. In a way, I should feel all good things in life. But actually, 
I am quite frightened mm. uh, about the months ahead. And if someone like me with all the privileges that I have is feeling seriously nervous about what's to come, um, then you can only imagine how it is for people who are uh, much less well off and really on the margin. Mm. And we're not just talking about um, ordinary householders, everybody is worried. But also all those small businesses you mentioned there about the uh, restaurants, the pubs. You know, I'm hearing um, here about fish and chip shops that may not be able to survive quite mm. simply because their costs will just make their businesses unviable. Um, so I think it is a genuinely frightening time for people. Well, it is because you see the figures that are being bandied about and I can't tell you how much absolute and utter disdain I have for Ofgem and the terrible job that they've been doing. Do you know that Ofgem, the regulator, in their sort of mission statement, they say that they are here uh, in order to protect the consumer and to provide fair costing energy uh, and green energy. Now, I want them to drop the green energy part because that's obviously what's causing this huge problem. But it's impossible for most people to even consider paying the amounts of money they're suggesting that they're going to get to uh, to be pay, paying in October. It's just not feasible. You know, as, as you say, even, even for people who are reasonably well off, who can afford to go on holiday, who can afford to have a car, they can't pay, you know, upwards of three and a half, four thousand pounds a year for, for energy. It's, it's just not doable, is it? It's completely insane. And, you and you know, up and down the country, people are um, going to be making calculations about what they can and can't do. Um, you mentioned that um, Richard and I are going to be hosting um, Drive later mm. this week. And actually, as I put the kettle on for the umpteenth time on Sunday morning, I thought, actually, you know, I wonder how much that costs and how much does it cost to have an extra little fridge mm. or how much does it cost to you know, just these ordinary everyday activities. Now, I'm not suggesting for a minute that I, I, I don't think I can afford to put the kettle on a few times a day, um, but I think people will be making calculations. Uh, and yeah, I no question. Talking about this as to whether actually they are going to put the oven on for a couple of hours to slow cook something, or actually are they just going to eat a piece of toast? Yeah. I don't know. And by the way, I don't know about you, but... I actually don't know how much this stuff costs. You know, right. how much does it cost to, to run a bath or yeah. uh, run a fridge for a day or whatever? And I think people are going to start getting quite interested in those. Yeah, oh, totally. I was talking to somebody at the weekend um, who normally buys some sort of cheap chicken from the supermarket, cooks it in the oven, gives it to the dog, uh, you know, for his dinner. Um, and she was saying, you know, what I'm going to do is actually going to be cheaper. It's going to be cheaper to buy one of those cooked chickens from the supermarket for about three quid and just give him that because it yeah. will cost more money to actually cook it than it will to buy it. Fancy dog. I mean, who, who does that for their dogs? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, people know. Well, I'm, a friend of mine has got another friend of mine has got a dog who only eats raw meat. And so therefore she has to have it specially procured by a butcher and all this horrible, whenever he comes to visit my house, it's like got this horrible tripe and raw oh, chicken. It's yeah. disgusting. Well, it I really think, isn't. It's not good if you've got hangover, I'll tell you that. I think we better stop this because I've got a very placid <laughs> cocker spaniel under the table here and his ears are pricking up. <laughs> right. Well, let's talk about Liz Truss because, I mean, Liz Truss is still, as far as we know, very much the likely candidate to become Prime Minister. She's talking about at least giving people some money back. But, you know, surely she must be able to do more than just hint at it at the moment. We're a week away. People can't go for a week without knowing, surely. Well, I think the, the, the reality is, Mike, that actually Liz Truss's team don't yet know what they're going to do. I and mean, I kind of know that for a fact, having right. talked to a number of people involved in the campaign, um, that there are intensive discussions going on 
about what they do. Um, and the debate is uh, really actually an ideological one. And I think there's some concern um, amongst those who really want Liz Truss to do well, um, that she'll be a bit too ideological about this and won't contemplate the scale of market intervention that is required in what is effectively a sort of warlike situation, mm. We're in an energy war. Um, but Liz Truss is very ideological, proudly so, uh, and does not believe fundamentally in interfering with the market. And the question is whether she can be persuaded uh, by others on her team that under these unique circumstances, something much bigger is needed. And I think there's a tension there uh, also between um, you know, the, the panic to find some immediate measures, which are absolutely necessary, and the extent to which um, the kind of lurching from one sticking plaster to another um, takes up the bandwidth that should be being used on more strategic um, energy uh, solutions. So, you know, if you start talking to Truss's team about fracking, uh, for example, yes, they're interested in it, but they quickly bat you off and say, no, well, we're far too busy working out what to do next mm. week. Um, and that worries me a bit because, you know, if if we'd had that attitude, um, you know, several years ago of actually we have to look beyond next week, then we might not be in the mess that we are well, today. Quite. There's a problem with our politics that our politicians in general really only ever thinking about how to get through today and tomorrow. And that is a problem. Yeah, I mean, I somebody unearthed a clip for me uh, this weekend of Nick Clegg back in sort of 2011-12 time talking about why they didn't want to build any more nuclear power stations because they wouldn't come on stream until about 2022. Well, look, here we are and we don't have any energy. So maybe... I guess Nick Clegg is, he's basking in the hot sunshine of California, not having to worry about the rest of us left back here. Well, although they're going to have blackouts apparently in California this summer, so uh, well, this going into the winter. So, I mean, I mean, everybody is suffering and it is a global problem. However, um, you know, the bottom line is people need reassurance and they need it now. And I'm very uneasy about Rishi Sunak's idea of just handing out money. One, because it's not his money to hand out, it's our money. Um, and he needs they need to make things cheaper, surely, don't they? Well, the, I mean, there's so many differing views on this. I mean, I thought the, the £400 thing, whatever it was when it came out earlier this year, was just an absolute drop in the ocean. Mm. You know, when you see the, the sheer scale of it... Um, so it, it, it's a sort of um, it's a question of whether you give people really chunky handouts, which are always very, very hard uh, for Her Majesty's Treasury to swallow or, you know, you keep doing little bits around the edges. You know, you just wonder where all this goes. You know, what happens when thousands, millions of people can't pay their bills and all sorts of other public services are crumbling around us? You know, front of a lot of the papers today, um, the issues with the NHS, we've got trains that aren't running, and apparently we can't assure our domestic water supply. So there's a hose pipe ban. Mm. So it really feels, um, it's sort of, I feel like an old person saying this, you know, the kind of, oh gosh, nothing's ever been worse. But it, it genuinely does feel like that, I think. And, you know, Truss has got two years, only two years, before the Conservative Party face the electorate again. And, you know, there is a widespread view that that is all they've got. And mm. next time they're out. Um, and it, it's a really vanishingly short time. You've got to 
run a run a marathon at a sprint's mm. pace. Yes. It's, it's, difficult ask it is and it's an extraordinary place to find ourselves isn't it considering and when i say ourselves i mean as a country um to have an 80 seat majority that's just been completely and utterly destroyed from within it's just been wrecked from uh, the inside it's extraordinary but stay with us because the one thing that i was told this morning in a tweet that i got from somebody that works efficiently in this country is the illegal migrant business because uh, you can get from france to, to here very very quickly and it works terribly well maybe we put those guys in charge um isabel oakshot's with us international editor at talk tv and we'll be back with more memories of boris johnson china russia what's going on uh, we want to hear from you as well. 0344 499 1000 is Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Got some interesting pieces of information coming in. We're talking to Isabel Oakeshott about the cost of living and how much it actually costs to put things on in the house. Uh, here's one from Peter who says, Morning, Mike. According to my smart meter monitor, it cost me 5p this morning to boil just enough water in the kettle to make two cups of tea. I hate smart meters, but it's interesting to watch the power usage and cost each time I turn on an appliance. And Will Dunn says uh, that from October, a boiling a kettle will cost more than 10 pence a time. So I guess, oh. Isabel, there's... There's your, there's your answer. So 10 a day, it's a pound. <laughs> I think I'll probably do it about 20 times a day with my mother. And it's, maybe even more, because half the time you put it on, don't you? And then you go away and do something else. You come and then back you put it back like, on again. I know. Yeah. No, I, th- I mean, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because people will be thinking this way and, and out of necessity for an awful lot of people as well. And, you know, number of times you put the washing machine on, number of times you yeah. put a dishwasher on, number of yeah. times that you, you, you use any form of, uh, of electric fan. I mean, my own um, teenagers who spend a lot of time on PlayStation and stuff and TVs being on all the time. Um, you know, my daughter, who, who was raised in America, is, is famous for whenever she comes to the house there's a power surge because all the lights go on and she never switches any of them off even when she goes out of the room you know we were in sort of it so we'll all be changing our habits won't we yeah and i think um it's those marginal things isn't it like the dishwasher and a tumble dryer you know could you put stuff out on a washing line yeah uh, you know don't put the dishwasher on when it's only half full stuff like that i think people will be making those decisions um i also stocked up um, about two months ago on firewood yeah. um, because I thought the price would rocket. And actually, at the moment, it doesn't seem to have touch wood, but we're not in the autumn yet. Mm. And I think a lot of people aren't yet sort of getting their heads around that. Um, but those who do have the ability to, to have a fire where they've got a wood-burning stove or um, just an old-fashioned fireplace, I think we'll probably be using mm. that more as well as if if they're not using the heating and people will be cooking on barbecues it's probably cheaper now to buy charcoal than it is to actually use the oven you know oh don't don't get any of the green lot started on (laughs) but this is the thing you know um life is going to be difficult for an awful lot of people because apart from um the the extra cost as you say of 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 just heating your home and and getting around everything's going to go up i mean we're going to talk to a restaurant owner in a little while about how much he's going to be uh, affected by this rising uh, price but of course, everything is going to go up because deliveries of things are going to go up. Anybody working in a factory, anybody running a factory, um, you know, it's all going th- only in one direction. I mean, the more I'm thinking about this and getting quite depressed, I'm wondering whether there could be some form of kind of reverse migration. I mean, maybe maybe we could do a swap with the Albanians. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking that maybe life might actually be better in Albania. I don't know what their situation is like over there. I'm guessing they don't have a hosepipe ban. I'm guessing that they don't have a number of our other issues and they don't have their criminals 
um, coming into their country. No, they're so, all leaving, so it must be quite good, I actually. Think, you know, we could sort of do a... They've, you got know, some, they've got some decent beaches, right? Now, before we talk about China, and Liz Truss on the front page of the Times this morning, because she's going to declare China an official threat for the first time. So I'll ask you that question with your international hat on. But before I do that, because we're trying to do this with everybody this week, I want to ask you about Boris Johnson, because this is last week uh, as Prime Minister of this country, unless he comes back some other time. What will you remember him for? What will, what will be your memory of Boris Johnson? Well, I think I'll certainly remember him for having got Brexit over the line. And I'm sure that's what he would want people to remember him for. Whether any real opportunities were delivered from that during his administration is another matter. But I think he can bank that. And then beyond that, I think it's just a massive wasted opportunity. You know, I will remember him as the person that was in charge during the pandemic and imposed those lockdowns on us. Uh, and I think bit by bit, the dominoes are starting to fall about those lockdowns. Yeah. And the evidence is mounting that those of us, like your good self, um, Julia Hartley Brewer and, and many other uh, talk presenters, uh, and myself as a commentator and so many others who fought so hard to put the other side of the argument and were ridiculed, bullied, smeared mm. and cancelled are ultimately going to be vindicated. And in the end, Boris Johnson was prime minister over the pandemic and he presided over those catastrophic measures. So for me, I will personally remember him for that. And it was such a shock that somebody who we'd all thought was a libertarian and actually his instincts were libertarian um, became kind of captured mm. by all the vested interests that pushed him in that direction. Yeah, I mean, it was an extraordinary time. I mean, we talk about it a lot even now. The, yeah. thing, the things that we did, uh, that we sort of went along with willingly because we we thought it, it was all uh, being done because people knew what they were doing. Turns out they didn't yeah. know anything. They didn't. And, you know, you're right. I think people do still talk about it, you know, perhaps almost on a daily basis because the effects are so profoundly long lasting on each and every one of our lives in different ways, whether it's uh, the impact it had on on your children's education and on their development, whether it's the fact that, you know, there are now still people waiting well over a year mm. for NHS treatment. And we've all been we were all told and brainwashed that this was all about saving the NHS. And in fact, the impact on the NHS has been absolutely devastating. So it, it is still um, such a live topic in every household, I think, you know, and also in a sense, you sort of lost two years. So mm. everything that you're doing um, now, you kind of think, well, you know, this is something I wasn't able to do last year or the year before. Those ramifications are are still coming through. And, you know, this cost of living crisis is actually also a cost of the pandemic mm. and, and more importantly, the lockdown crisis. So I think that, that there should be a day of reckoning um, over all those decisions. And Boris Johnson was at the heart of them. But I'm not sure that we're going to hear an awful lot of him um, in the short term, although there is some quite mischievous speculation that he may rock up at the Conservative Party conference. That would be very, very typical Boris. He used yes. to do this when he was mayor of London and he wanted to annoy David Cameron. <laughs> he would rock up and he would cause a big circus right. and 
I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, and he would pre he would do a speech to a huge audience, wouldn't he? Because everybody would want yeah. to go and see him. And he's still, I mean, even if it's just being pumped out there by the Telegraph, he's still polling higher than either Sunak or Liz Truss if if he was to run, which I know is a mad idea and won't happen. But he, they, he still gets the polling, doesn't he? Well, he's a very engaging, charismatic, highly intelligent and interesting character. Uh, I'm still of the view that you can't have a pathological liar running the country. Uh, but he had many, many other qualities. And, you know, who would you want round for dinner? Would you want Liz Truss or would you want Boris Johnson? I mean, actually, I think I'd quite like an evening with Boris Johnson. Mm. It'd be more interesting, wouldn't it? It would. I'd be slightly worried he might nick the most expensive bottle of wine you had on his way out, I think though. He would, absolutely. And, it, you know, <laughs> probably other things besides. <laughs> and your wife. <laughs> Um, yeah. But there we are. Um, let's talk about tr- China. Uh, Liz Truss apparently finally is going to make China uh, or declare China to be an official threat. Um, does that si- does that signal something good for you that she would be good in prime in uh, Downing Street? I think this is long overdue. I mean, how much does it mean is the question. I mean, for so many years, the Conservatives have been, uh, you know, really putting um, the kind of trade and um, Uh, commerce ahead of what we know about China, which is that they are a hostile state as far as we're concerned. You know, they have spent years stealing our trade secrets, you know, spying on us. And they're much smarter in the way that they do this than the Russians. They're so much more subtle. Mm. they They will not go beyond a threshold that they know will trigger a huge response. That doesn't mean they're any less of a threat or any less dangerous, in fact, very much more so. Um, And, you know, their activities in the South China Sea are quite extraordinary. You know, this has been going on for years, the way that they're trying to effectively colonize um, that area Mm. um, to impede the freedom of navigation of the world's shipping. Um, And that is Uh, so important you know these are fundamental freedoms you kind of forget that you know under ancient established laws i could set sail if i wanted from just out there the beach is just uh, outside my window i could head off around the world anywhere i want i don't have to show passports or uh, you know pass through any um, kind of barriers you know you can go anywhere that's freedom of navigation and that is the basis on which the world's maritime economy works and also defences work. Mm. And the Chinese want to stop this. So do the Russians. And the Chinese have been very proactive about doing that. Um, So they are a threat. It's great um, that the prime minister-to-be, if that's what she is, is openly acknowledging that. But it has to be meaningful. Um, And, you know, for example, what do we do about Hong Kong? Where have things got with that? Things have gone very quiet on Hong Kong. And then the next threat is to Taiwan. So there could be some some interesting tests coming up for a Liz Truss or Sunak premiership uh, in that region. Isabel, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. We look forward to seeing you later in the week. Isabel Oakeshott uh, back here at Talk TV on Drive. Uh, coming up later in the week, we've got some news for you. This is Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We have got one heck of a show for you today. We've got loads going on. Isabel Oakeshott's kicking things off there, talking about a great many things, including uh, the legacy of Boris Johnson. How will he be remembered? Uh, how about this from uh, somebody who has texted in to us? The only memory I will have of Boris Johnson is him being a puppet for witty and valance. Brexit was achieved by Nigel Farage and the Brexit Party. Uh, his 80-plus seat majority, which he's done absolutely nothing with, was achieved by Brexit Party candidates dropping out of constituency seats at the last election pay the way for Tory MPs to scrape into marginal seats. There's a bit more of it, uh, which I will find uh, later on. Good morning, Mike, says Alison. Uh, I think Liz should offer the Home Office job to Boris. He did a great job cutting crime when he was Mayor of London. Coming up later on in the show, we're going to talk about the state of the NHS, which has to be said uh, to be as dire as it has ever been. Not least because uh, we now know from a Sunday Times poll at the weekend that actually more and more people in this country uh, have no faith whatsoever in our National Health Service. I've been saying this for a very long time we've been taking calls on it for a very long time we know how bad the service is we know there are still people working in it who do a great job but basically the nhs is not fit for purpose and it now turns out that britain is falling out of love with the national health service uh, and what's more, there's even more bad news this morning. We'll talk about that. Bed blocking is going on uh, and it's taking even longer to get into hospital now than it ever did because there's too many people in there who shouldn't be there. They should be out, but they can't go out because there's nowhere for them to go. Absolutely staggering. Now, uh, one of the big problems that we're going to encounter over the course of the next few weeks and months is the cost of living crisis, not just for the customers uh, of restaurants, but for the owners of restaurants and other hospitality businesses, pubs, cafes, um, you name it. They're all now suffering from ridiculously high energy prices. We saw at the weekend one particular pub up in the Wirral, I think it was called the Rosen Crown, saying they'd been hit with a bill of an estimated £60,000 a year just for the gas supply. Unbelievable. Let's speak now to Cyrus Toliwala, uh, who's chef and proprietor of Cafe Spice Namaste, uh, a good friend of the show as well, and Mr. Toliwala's Kitchen too. Cyrus, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you, Mike. How are you? Very well indeed. Long time no see. Um, I apologise for not turning up for some beautiful food at your restaurant. I'll be there soon. Um, how is this going to affect you guys? Because you, it's not only you I'm talking to. I'm, I'm talking to you as a, as a representative of the restaurant business. I mean, this is in, incredible, isn't it? It is a disaster for us, actually, at the moment. It's not just incredible. It is uh, <clears throat> becoming extremely difficult to try and put the two dots together and make ends meet because it's uh, the energy crisis and the cost of fuel and everything else has led to a general escalation in prices all around. Right. So you're not just hit by massive fuel prices, but you're also hit by everything else around it. Mm. The problem with the fuel crisis at the moment is... Our contract came to an end with our energy supplier and they refused now to give you a new contract because they cannot be sure what the prices will be and they will not tie down a price, right. which is even worse for us because we cannot predict now what our cost might be three months, six months, 12 months. Because you guys, of course, in the commercial sector don't even have what we have, the protection of, of the cap, right? You don't have that cap. We don't have that cap. We don't have protection and... The, there is no longer the situation where you can skip and look at every look at other options mm. because every energy company doesn't want to know you anymore. Right. And they are very, very rigid on the way they price their supplies to you. So are you actually now having to sort of just plan week to week, day to day? How does it work? We have to. And because the situation is so difficult at the moment and the industry, of course, is, has its own 
turmoil following the pandemic mm. and Brexit and everything else, where most people are grappling and the news in the industry, if you look at all the, if we, I read the press daily, the industry press, and it's only doom and gloom because pubs are shutting down left, right and center. Other places are just closing down. They're just giving up, throwing their hands up in the air and say, sorry, we just cannot cope anymore. Yeah. I mean, I've noticed around these parts in uh, sort of London Bridge, Borough Market area, that there are some restaurants now which are not opening for lunch um, on certain days of the week, presumably because they can't guarantee that they make enough money to cover all the cost. This is the case all around. We are now opening, if you, if I must tell you, four and a half days a week now. Right. Because we cannot cope with the escalation of costs. Mm. So to minimize costs, if you turn heat, light, power on, you're just churning the meter through, but not generating any revenue at the same time to compensate for that. Yes. So like us, many restaurants, even the leading Michelin star restaurants, are now shutting two days a week minimum, most mm. of them. Yeah. It's incredibly sad, isn't it? Because this is the lifeblood of cities like London and other cities in the country. Um, it you is know, we've, only, we've only just got people back out. We've got tourists back in London now. People are visiting once more, travelling, and now they're going to find they can't go for a meal because the restaurant's not open. That's one big problem. The other problem, of course, is that the uh, public cannot normally understand that the restaurant needs to raise its prices slightly. Yeah. Because the cost of living has become very difficult because we are just juggling all the time. If I raise my prices a little bit, we get told off by customers that you're becoming very expensive. But prices are jumping on the cost of raw material, yeah. not 10p, 15p, 20p, but four and five pounds a kilo. Right. Yeah, because presumably your suppliers, you have meats and vegetables, whatever it is, they're all having to pay more money for their uh, for their energy as well. Absolutely. And because of the way I, we purchase, because we purchase from small people across the country, the travel cost itself on delivery has shot up. Mm. The price of your raw material price, I mean, give you an example. We buy, let's say, uh, fresh uh, chalk stream trout from Hampshire, yeah. which has now become from £14.50 to £19.50 wow. in the one and a half months. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Incredible. What would you What would you say to whoever is going to be the next prime minister? What can they do? What should they do? I think uh, I mean, you know, lots of things grapple my mind. I mean, there are rumours that VAT will be slashed by five percent, but I think overall, this industry, if VAT is reduced only on food, for example, it is pure sustenance for people. When it is reduced in restaurants, we see a better stream of people. That will automatically bring in more revenue, mm. raise the manpower because people will start asking for more manpower. And it has a little circle, but it's a difficult question. If I'm the chancellor, it would be the last thing in the world yeah. I would like to comment on because I know there'll be a knife in my back every five minutes. Yeah, I know. Terrible business. Well, listen, I'm going to come and uh, try and give you some support soon. Um, don't worry, I'll be there. <laughs> Cyrus, good to, good to talk to you and good luck, good luck with the business as well. It's a shocking state of affairs that we find ourselves in. You know, hardworking people like Cyrus, like people who run pubs and restaurants, it's a very difficult business to be in. It's a very hardworking business as well. And people who are in it need support and they can't survive with these ludicrous costs. It's just not going to work. Uh, he's the chef and proprietor, of course, of Cafe Spice, the master of fantastic Indian restaurant. Um, 
Mr. Tony Waller's kitchen uh, as well. Coming up, we're going to talk about the NHS. We're going to take your calls, of course, as well. Peter Hitchens coming up as well uh, later on at 11 o'clock after the news. 0344 499 1000. Let's get some real answers to these problems. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is Monday. Uh, the sky is relatively calm. There's a few sort of what look like cumulonimbus type clouds out there. Uh, but it's quite pleasant, quite warm. Uh, it is the last week of Boris Johnson's, I was he said presidency <laughs> by mistake. Uh, but he's prime minister in name only until Friday, I think, or maybe Sunday. I'm not quite sure. Luckily, I've got Peter Hitchens here, who in, in certainly in this room is the constitutional expert of the two of us. Uh, is he going to be prime minister I until Sunday? The result was announced on Monday. Yes, it is. So they can't really, until you've got a new one, you can't... He, well, he, also, he doesn't hand over the seals of office mm. until, the, until the new um, Prime Minister is yes. invited to f- and, form government by and, the Queen. And we have this rather odd situation now where everybody's going to have to go to Balmoral because the yeah, Queen well, isn't coming down, which I, I don't blame her for. To be honest. I'm glad to see these things because it reminds people of what the, the actual source of authority is in this country. Yes. I, I like to see these things done. And if yes. they have to traipse up to Balmoral, well good. Yes, so perhaps he's still Prime Minister until he sees the Queen. And then he ceases to be. That's my understanding of the constitution. Okay. It's the Queen who 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 thanks him for his services, and then asks someone someone else to form a yeah. government. Yes, and we were told uh, last week that if in fact it turns out to be Rishi Sunak, they might have to arrange separate doors for them because they're not speaking to each other apparently. Oh right. So, so it could all be a bit awkward. <laughs> There, there is actually a special room in the Foreign Office which has two doors, really, uh, two entrances mm. for two pr- Indian princes of equal rank to enter at the same time. Mm. The, wow. Durbar, the Durbar room. Interesting. It was actually designed specifically for that. It's a beautiful, but so they've only been use, in it once. They could use that. They could use that. Yeah, that's a very good idea. We'll come back to Boris because I'll ask you about your your impressions of his time in office in a moment. But let's talk about your column first of all. Yeah. Uh, Ukraine once again. Um, well, yes. You were accused of being an appeaser. Well, this is the thing. Any all diplomacy is accused of being. Appeasement is just a name for, for diplomatic actions you disapprove of. Everybody yeah. goes on and on about Neville mm. Chamberlain appeasing Hitler, rightly, because he did. Yeah, uh, but because he w- thought w- it was a good idea at the he time. He thought it was a good idea. And every, I have to say that London was filled with crowds praising him at the time. And yeah. uh, I think the the, the, the the citizens of France bought him a house mm. in gratitude for what he did. That's what people thought at the yes. time. And it just shows how, how what con- is conventional worse than one minute is, is, is rubbish the next. Yeah. But probably the biggest appeaser in, in our modern history is Winston Churchill, who appeased Stalin at Yalta, yeah. actually handing over to him Poland, the country which we had gone to war in 1939 to save the mm. independence of. And everybody recognised at the time there wasn't really very much choice. No. The, the balance of power was such that the, the, the idea of having finished a, a six-year war against Germany to then begin a war of indefinite mm. length against the Soviet Union to, to try and push them back was, was beyond yeah. both our wealth and strength. So he appeased them. Uh, and I would say, uh, f- for certain, because I, I deeply disapprove of it, yeah. that the British government in 1998 appeased the provisional IRA and yes. the agreement they made with them. But but it's it, it, appeasement is just a rude word for, for things you don't like. Mm. 
Uh, my view here is what exactly is, and I have to ask people if they're keen on in continuing a, a war in Ukraine for the indefinite future, what exactly is Britain's interest in this? Mm. Uh, what do we gain from it? What, was our, wh what did we actually uh, care as a country about Ukraine before this began? Uh, why are we involved in it at all? And how much, uh, for instance, are you prepared to pay on your electricity bills uh, and your gas bills for the foreseeable yeah. future, and indeed your standard of living, uh, on this basis, leaving aside the other basic thing about all wars, which is the longer they go on, the more people become dead who mm. were happy uh, and, and, and living uh, men and women, and the more people become refugees. Yeah. Do you want that? Right. Is it that longer wars mean more more corpses mm. and they mean more and refugees? Those, those who would disagree with you, of course, would say, yes, but what if you appease, if that's not the right word, we can use another one, um, Putin, and he then comes back and wants to try his luck with Moldova or Latvia or one of those other countries. Well, I think the, the, the simple point that I make here is that the, 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 the whole basis of the new Cold War merchants who've been for years saying Russia's this terrible threat was that Russia was a major military power which ought to be feared. Mm. And I think one thing which events in Ukraine in the past six months have established is that Russia as a military power isn't up to much. If they were as good as, as they'd been claimed to be by the panic merchants, then they would have taken Kiev long yeah. ago and probably the whole of Ukraine. Well, they'd now would be, be occupying Ukraine. Yeah, they would, but they aren't. The, the truth is the Russian army and the Ru is not that good. The Russian navy is, is, is a decrepit museum of, old, of elderly ships, and the Russian air force isn't up to much either. Yeah. And it, I would have thought that it looked at... There were two things which are unintended consequences of this for people. Um, the, it, what Vladimir Putin has done by this stupid invasion, which is, is not just a crime but a mistake, mm. uh, and it is a crime, is he's established that he's weaker than people thought that he was that he, or that he wanted people to think that he was. And he's also almost certainly increased Ukrainian patriotism among the people of Ukraine. So that a country which was up till then quite divided and rather disparate and not even particularly keen on its own language has now become much mm. more patriotic and much more Ukrainian. So he's, he's, he's done quite a lot of damage to two of the things he, 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 he mm. would previously have valued. But we have to look at this as well. Is, it, is he really the menace that we've been constantly told that he is? Yeah. If, he, if he can't even uh, win a war in Ukraine, yeah. which he started. But what if what, winning the war in Ukraine isn't his main objective? What if his main objective is to wreck the energy um, process for the Western Western Europe and, and and effectively kind of cut us off, if you like, from his gas supply. Well, maybe so. But I think one of the problems with... Uh... Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. With this is that he, he does need to sell gas. Mm. And he, if, he's, if, if Russia has any sense, it doesn't want to be totally re reliant on China as its only customer. Yeah. For instance, it would much rather have uh, a lot of cust customers in Europe, particularly Germany as well. That's why so much money and effort's gone on building these, the second Nord Stream pipeline, mm. which has never been opened. Right. And I don't think that, it's, that, that, that Russia re regards that as a sensible option. It will, Russia will certainly use energy as a weapon if it's given, if it's given the opportunity right. to do so, and is doing so. Yes. And so you a, think a lot of people of will suffer. 
suffer from that. It doesn't you don't need to be a country which imports Russian yes. gas, which we don't really, no. to suffer from the fact that the price no, of exactly gas right. goes up hugely. But so from from both perspectives, in, in in a way, I suppose it's a good thing for Russia to keep the war going because they can continue to hold the West to ransom in some way. And, but equally, a, a good reason why the West should be pushing to find peace because well, I, we need to sort it out. I think there are disadvantages and advantages in both for both sides mm. in ending this war. Uh, but fundamentally, the the, the great dis- the great dis- the great advantage in in ending the war is that it is going to be very costly in both in in lives, and in ha- human happiness, and in economic disaster if we continue it. And what are we continuing it mm. for? What is our objective? Mm. Do we really think uh, that we can fight this to to, to the to the point where Russian forces are, are driven out of Ukraine by conventional means. There is a very serious risk in this, as Professor John Mearsheimer recently pointed out in a fascinating article. This could actually lead to the first use of nuclear weapons mm. in modern times, tactical nuclear weapons by the Russians, who, who, who might well be tempted under those circumstances to use them. Well, uh, do we actually want to push a war that far? Mm. Uh, once that happens, almost all bets are off as to whether civilization yeah. can even survive. And you, it's a very risky thing, yeah. war. You never, once you start it, yeah. you never know where it will end. And the, the, the sensible thing to do has always been to it, stop it. But they did start it. And they started it, yes, sure. But I mean, but, the bottom. But, but that's, that, that's that, they've, 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 they've failed in, in, mm. in, in many major objectives. It's costing them a great deal. Yeah. I think that if a, if an opening was made towards negotiations, I think it, it would be the same thing to do. What happened in 1914? This is the parallel I came up with. Lord Lansdowne, the the, the the great former Tory foreign secretary and, and considerable patriot and hardliner, wrote a letter to the Times in the middle of the First World War saying, why don't we do what everybody did until recently, particularly in the 18th century, and and, and recognise this is, this war is doing terrible damage to civilization, mm-hmm. and come to a, a, a compromise agreement. And he was driven out of civilised society for saying so. The Times wouldn't even publish yeah. the letter. And as a result, we got... Uh, the Bolshevik Revolution, and as a result of that, we got Hitler, and we got Mussolini, mm-hmm. and we got the Second World War, and we got. It, 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 he was absolutely right to issue these warnings. And if a compromise peace had been reached in the middle of the First World War, we would have been saved so many terrible mm. things. Not to mention all those lives. Yes. I should point out as well, he didn't realize this when he wrote the letter. He thought we would probably win the war eventually, anyway. But he didn't realize that uh, that in the spring of 1918, the Germans would come within inches of winning it, mm. which they did. They very, very nearly beat us. And then we would have been an occupied country. Yeah. And it would have been a very different scenario. This period of history is, is far too little stunning. But yeah. the, the spring 1918 German offensive very nearly succeeded mm. and drove us to the channel. And what, might, what, what could happen if the Russians were actually defeated militarily is they might come back and have another go. Whereas if they actually did agree a deal... Um, maybe that would be the end of it. But do you see something like what they did in, in Bosnia and, and in the Balkans, where you have this kind of David Owen figure, oh. shuffle diplomacy, people meeting on airport tarmacs and, and doing deals like that? I mean, I how don't does it work? mind. Look, the, 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 in my view, the kitchen in which this war was produced is the same kitchen that produced the Iraq War mm. and the Afghanistan War. Uh, disastrous attempts by the United States to intervene in affairs which it didn't really have any power over. That's basically what this is about. This is a war between between Russia and the USA, not yeah. a war between Russia and Ukraine, yeah. in which Ukraine is used as a as a battering ram and a boxing ring. Uh, the 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 danger of it is 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 therefore that it will go seriously wrong. But I think that what I what I'm saying is that in a free and democratic country. The issue of whether or not we have an interest 
in continuing to support this war to, to the bitter end, which is pretty much what Mr. Johnson said we should do last week, yeah. needs to be discussed. Yeah. It shouldn't just be accepted as no, a given. No, I agree. And I, in, in a free country, it needs, and, and therefore, it, if, if this is what I think, it's my job to raise it. And if I get called rude names mm. and, and, and insulted as a result, well, okay, I'm used to that. Yes. Uh, but it seems to me it's time that in politics and in the media, we stopped having this one note, everybody saying the same thing. Glory to Ukraine. Yeah. There's only one side in this matter. We must continue this war to the end. Do people really understand what that will mean yes. for it them? It sounds, I'm afraid, as familiar as those people who say, well, of course, we must get to net zero. And that's the start of the conversation. You go, well, why, actually? Because... Um, a lot of European countries are now beginning to ask the question, do we now want to continue to train Ukrainian troops? Do we now want to continue yeah. to support Ukraine? And some, and Germany is possibly not going to. Spain has already issued uh, instructions not to train any more Ukrainian troops. So, you know, not everybody's on the same Not everybody is. We could have ended Afghanistan years before and in a far more orderly yes. fashion than we did mm. if people had only recognized that it was a mistake. Yeah. Anybody who wants to continue anything to the bitter end needs to be mistrusted. How does anybody know enough mm. to be so sure? Yeah. And you're not just in, in war. You're not just saying we're going to spend some money. You're not just saying we're going, we're, we're going to make some effort. You're going to have people killed. Mm. Uh, some of them will be on your own side. Yeah. You're going to have suffering. War always causes suffering, and there will always be a very, very high economic price for it. Yeah. The, the Europe has never fully recovered in many ways from the two great wars of the, of the 20th century. I don't think we want another one. No. I, I, all I'm asking for is that there should be consider, there should at least be some consideration. If Parliament assembles, there should not be just no voices saying, actually, this might not be a good idea. We, we have an opposition. They should oppose. And we have we have a diverse press. It should be diverse. There yeah. should be different views being expressed in it. We should be debating this because sooner or later we will wish that we had if we don't. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Well, this is the place to do it, of course. Coming up, we're going to debate the police because, uh, unbelievably, the police have apparently been given instructions to treat all journalists as extremists. Interesting, that, isn't it? We'll get Peter Pitchin's opinion on that. Plus, I'll be asking him for his uh, recollections, if you like, on Boris Johnson. Uh, what will you remember him by? Many of you are telling me. Uh, keep those coming. We'll talk to many of you soon. Uh, this is Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and Talk TV. Are giving me... Oh, hang on. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Peter Hitchens is with me. We were just uh, reminiscing about um, medals and things like that, but we'll come back to that. Let's talk about the police, because there's an extraordinary story today uh, in the Daily Mail, uh, where it says secret police guidance has been discovered, urging officers to treat journalists akin to criminals and extremist groups. I mean, where has this come from? It's come apparently from this mysterious body called the College of Policing, yes. which is the heart of darkness of modern policing, mm. where all the, the strange... Uh, I would say liberal elite ideas come from. Yes. You know, dominate Is this include the, the dancing the Macarena? Well, I don't know whether they've actually mandated dancing <laughs> the Macarena, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me one bit. Mm. But it sort of used to be the the, the 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 policing college at Brams Hill in Hampshire, which was the source of an awful lot of liberal yeah. policing ideas, which is now gone. Right. But the college of policing, I, I the more I hear about it, the more I think somebody needs to look into it. If you yeah. find out anything about it, it's probably shrouded mm. in, in secrecy. Well, this was I know the place that invented the phrase. Uh, non-crime hate incident yes uh, so that you could be reported for something without your knowledge yeah which would be on a record somewhere which might even affect a job application but i think when way. when somebody took all that to court and was 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 clear yes harry even, miller even though his his case was expunged yeah. as i recall the college of policing 
still continue to issue the same guidance. I think they're, they're now. Not, they're I think not, they've now sort of gone back on that. But they. But the but the but the, the, the reality would suggest differently because we've all we've all seen that footage of the veteran being arrested for causing anxiety. Yeah. Um, somewhere down in the West Country, where seven different police officers turned up, even though apparently they don't have enough. Uh, you know people and he, and he had count at all seven people turned up to no, arrest him no when doubt. he said what he's being arrested for they said you've caused anxiety yeah, to somebody there's, there's no doubt the whole the whole basis of police activity has altered away from the pre- prevention of crime and disorders being much more a body which enforces modern politics and morality and i'm just amazed that it's taken so many people so long to realize i, I, I wrote a book about it 20 mm. years ago yeah, <laughs> I've never succeeded in getting anybody to read. Right. Full of all this stuff, and now everybody's cottoning on. I think, well, thanks a lot. Well, again, but if you just just listened the first time, you could have saved yourself twenty years of trouble. Well, quite. It's, but an awful they, lot it's of, a terrible uh, mess. The police force. Yeah, but country. an awful lot of the we've country, discussed before. Yeah. A lot of, an awful lot of the country, from energy to um, to water to power to policing to the NHS, nothing seems to have been done. I watch minister after minister talking about what we're going to do now. Um, you know, and you go, well, why, why haven't you done anything before? And why has nobody done anything for 20 years? But the government isn't really in charge very much. Mm. And this this government, which has a supposedly conservative veneer on it, is still very much dominated by these ideas. And you find that all these things have been happening mm. continually and probably intensifying, mm. despite the fact that we've had a nominally conservative prime minister since 2010. Yes. And it, people don't, are beginning again to put two and together on that, two and two together on that and realise that the Conservative Party uh, is not actually a conservative body. And it doesn't, by being in office, uh, make the country any more conservative than it was before. No. And an awful lot of these things, when they, when you mentioned water and all the rest of them and energy companies, uh, I see, by the way, large numbers of Tory voters are now in favour of, of state control yes. of these things again, as, which makes perfect sense mm. in the way they behave. That, when you privatise, you lose control. Mm. And regaining control of privatised utilities is a very, very expensive and difficult business. It is. And also, when we were still in the European Union, probably legally very difficult as yeah. well. Uh, we could almost certainly do it now, but the cost would be high. Mm. The cost would be uh, and probably you, unless you just said right, you've you, you've had your you've had, you've, you've you've had your fun. Mm. No, we're not compensating you, but that of course is lawless, and I don't think any serious no, person they'd could lose, support they'd that. They'd lose in court, wouldn't they? I mean, my, one of my theories for a long time has been that when Tony Blair and the Blair Project got involved in politics and they took over this country, they kind of bored everybody into submission to the point where nobody really took any interest anymore in politics, and so the kind of badinage that you would have had in the pub stopped happening. People stopped having opinions about politics because it was all much more managed. It was run well, like it was a, sort of a, a well-oiled machine, and so people just didn't care anymore. But also there was, there was of course, a, a big cultural revolution about that time. It had begun under John Major, mm. really, but it, it, which was increasingly risky to say anything about various subjects. Yeah. And we all learnt that there were a lot of subjects in which it was better to keep yourself to yourself. At the same time, of course, the whole the whole culture based around the pub and of mm. going out, which is largely a masculine culture, began to dissolve anyway. And yeah. so the country changed very substantially. Yeah. If you were, if you could be teleported back into the nineteen eighties, mm. you'd be amazed at what a different place is. Well, yeah. worse in some ways, uh, but undoubtedly better in others. And I, it, it, one of the things we have very much lost is any kind of spirit of of debate or any real uh, reliance on freedom yeah. of speech and the education system. I, the, the, what do they teach them in these schools? It seems to be nothing but Hitler and Hitler. I mean, Liz, Liz Truss, um, uh, when she was being interviewed by Julie Hartley Brewer on Thursday night last week, actually said that our education system was something that was to be proud of and that was working very well. And now we kind of went, sorry? 
Uh, I don't think that's... She surely... should make her mind up, because well, she spent quite a lot of time saying how terrible her own school was. Well, yeah. You, you? And then every, everybody from her old school yeah. says, actually, Liz, as, as comprehensive go, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I you was... were in the posh part of Leeds, which is something she yes. didn't mention very much. Which is but, quite posh. She went quiet about yes. that again. Yeah, Rad Hay is quite posh. I wonder if you've seen the Beatles documentary, the one that's currently running on Disney. Which I'm is sorry, I, I, fabulous. Couldn't, I couldn't face it. Okay, well, there's a very fascinating... The, the third part is what I watched yesterday, and it's where they're doing... The sort of the final concert on the roof of a building in South oh, yeah, yeah, and the police that. knock on the door and there's people outside and they're all being interviewed but it's a fact I mean if you want to see how much Britain has changed yeah that's true you've got to watch that because the police are quite polite um, as a young police officer not quite sure what to do he's like well why do you have to do this and there's no understanding of what, what's going on he's kind of like what do you mean they're on the roof well, why do they have to be so loud? Could they not just turn it down? <laughs> and I mean, and people outside, are ch- there's various bowler-hatted types going, this is an outrage, you know, walking around, yeah. and a couple of younger women saying, oh, they're great, it's the Beatles, isn't it? It's Paul McCartney. But it's... Uh, Britain yeah, I don't is, need to watch any documentaries. I was, is, I was around for all yeah, but that. Britain I is still unrecon- remember it. But it's unrecognisable it is, yeah. from I that know. scene, yeah. you know? I, know this, I, I, I live in a country where almost nothing mm. is the same as it was when right. I was a teenager, for instance. Almost nothing. Yeah. Uh, uh, but on the other hand, it, the appearance of many things is, is, is yes. quite similar, but the spirit of the place is, is very different. And the Blair, the, the Blair government was a revolution, and people, the people conned themselves into believing, or were conned into believing, that it wasn't really, it was just it, that Blair was some sort of Tory. And they were distracted yeah. by, by slogans and, and slickness into not noticing yeah. a huge change. Which well, that's kind of what I mean, that they did it while we weren't looking. But let's get to Boris Johnson. Cause we yeah, let's time. do that. What's your um, memory of Boris Johnson going to be? Oh, great disappointment. Mm. I mean, whatever else I think of him, um, and I have, I'm not, not by any means a friend or an intimate, but I have met him and we've, we've, you know, we've, we've, we've encountered each other is I terribly disappointed he's obviously he, he knows a lot and intelligent but when I watch particularly his performance as foreign secretary and in foreign policy which are things I know a bit about it's been woeful leaden uninformed it's been cliched mm. now here is someone who you would have thought was absolutely against cliches mm. in, both in language and in, in action but he was just coming out with with the total foreign office bureaucratic boilerplate, as mm. if he'd never thought about it. I thought, oh, come on. You know better than this. I, you, you, if, if you could see yourself, you'd mock yourself. Yeah. But he seems to, he, he, in, in his time in office, he lost that ability to see himself and mock himself. And whether I agree with him or not, and on, on most things I probably don't, mm. it, would, it, it was sort of encouraging to begin with to think that he might be the kind of person who, who could actually yes. laugh at himself. I think he lost that capacity. If only he had, he had been in office as he got to office, if you like. You know, his campaigning style is much more friendly and, and better and, and probably you know, suits him more than what he's been doing well, since he's been This is in. so often the case, isn't mm. it? The people who campaign well govern badly and the people who, who campaign badly govern well. I mean, yeah. Clement Attlee, who everybody now reveres as a sort of political right. saint, if he came campaigning up your street, you'd die of boredom. <laughs> yes, well, you won't die of boredom listening to this, hopefully. Uh, Peter Hitchens, thank you very much indeed. You won't be with us next week. Um, no. You're off on your travels, but we'll hear all about it the following week, I hope. I imagine so. Yes. Fantastic. Peter Hitchens, Mail on Sunday, of course, read his column every week. Um, He's been proved right um, time and time again. doesn't matter what you think of him. Just read what he says. Uh, This is Talk TV. We'll have more coming next. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. A couple of tweets coming in and text as well. You can text us, of course, on uh, 8722. Morning, Mike. Can we possibly pin this cost of living crisis on the net zero lobby? If we're all using far less fuel and gas, then they're more likely to hit their net zero target by 2030. Well, you see, I don't think people can, though. The problem is, it's like when petrol prices went up and diesel prices went up, the roads didn't get any emptier. We were told people aren't going to travel as much, but in fact, they travelled just as much because you can't really get anywhere in this country unless you've got a car. Uh, Jill says this, the sick and disabled will need a lot of help with energy bills. However, many of these people, especially the chronically ill, will not get the help they need as they have been turned down by DWP uh, for PIP, etc. So are not registered anywhere to receive any help. Well, this is one of the things that people are beginning to discover, that it's going to be very difficult indeed for the government uh, to, in fact, means test any kind of giveaway because it's harder and harder to do that. It's much easier to just give it away to everyone. And then, they, of course, they get criticised because they'll end up giving it to people people who are so wealthy that they won't even notice it's there. Footballers, for example. We're going to talk about footballer because Adam Sage is here. He's a Times Paris correspondent. Probably one of the more bizarre stories of the year emerged yesterday uh, in which it was revealed that football star Paul Pogba, who used to play, of course, for Manchester United, tells French police he was held hostage by a gang armed with assault rifles who were demanding 11 million quid as part of a long-running blackmail uh, case, which seems to involve his brother, and his friends. Adam, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Um, very odd, this story, isn't it? I mean, it's a sort of, uh, it's one of those when you actually physically go, blimey, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Very, very bizarre story. Uh, I mean, Paul Pogba says it started around about March when France was playing a, a, a friendly match against the Ivory Coast. He went back to see his family in Lagny-sur-Marne. Lagny-sur-Marne is a little town near Disneyland where he's from. Um, he told police uh, when he went to see them about a month ago to, to report all this that uh, there were some of his old school friends waiting for him along with two men with assault rifles who pushed him and shoved him into a car, took him to a flat in Paris and demanded uh, 13 million euros for the 13 years that they said they'd been protecting him and covering him. So I guess that's 1 million euros for every year. Mm. Uh, very, 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 yeah, amazing. A very bizarre story. It really is. And there's talk of sort of compromising videos that they're saying that they're going to release if um, if he doesn't pay them. Um, any idea what they are compromising uh, about? What sort of compromising videos are we talking about? I don't know all the details. Uh, we know that Matthias Pogba, his brother, released this very, very strange video on TikTok on Saturday in four languages where he said he had all sorts of revelations to make about Paul Pogba um, uh, that would show the world that he's not a respectable person and not someone to be trusted. Um, we know that when um, Paul Pogba went to see the police, um, he said that one of the... One of the um, blackmailers tools were emails that he allegedly sent um asking a, a friend of his or an acquaintance of his who is a marabout that is a, an african witch doctor uh, to put a spell on killian mbappe the france and um, <laughs> um france and uh, and paris saint-germain striker i don't know what spell that was i don't know if it was a spell it doesn't seem to work well i was going to say if it was a spell uh, to make him anything other than brilliant uh, it's obviously not a very good spell no, it doesn't seem to have worked. But I mean, Paul Pogba uh, denies this. He said he never did ask a marabout to put a, put a spell on Bappe. But anyway, that, that's the only uh, part of the element of, of, of the alleged blackmail that we know about 
in concrete terms. We know that um, Matthias, the brother, has been making all sorts of statements on, on social media. He came back yesterday and said that Paul was a liar um, and a hypocrite. We know that Paul Pogba has alleged that he is the victim of, of, of blackmail and extortion. And I'm sure there are going to be more details coming out in this, as you say, incredible story. Yeah. And the French authorities are taking it seriously, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, Paul Pogba and his lawyer, Rafaela Pimenta, his Italian lawyer, went to them a month ago, um, said that they, they'd filed a criminal lawsuit. A criminal lawsuit um, more or less obliges the police and the prosecutors to start an investigation, mm. which they've done. They've handed it to an elite French uh, police unit that is charged with investigating organised crime. So, yes, this is being taken seriously. Absolutely. And it's an extraordinary uh, amount of money but I suppose in the world of football, this is the kind of stuff that goes on. I mean, I don't mean people blackmailing each other all the time, but they've got so much money, footballers, especially those like Paul Pogba, who are sort of right at the top end of, of the earnings bracket. Because he was at Manchester United, I think, twice, wasn't he? Um, that they almost certainly bring a kind of entourage with them, and they're almost certainly going to be, you know, occasionally tapped up like this. Yeah, absolutely. And I was reading um, um, an article by Jérôme Alonso, who's a former Paris Saint-Germain uh, goalkeeper in the equipe this morning, who was saying that th these, are, these are guys very often from the suburbs of big French cities, from Paris suburbs, in Paul Pogba's case, from other suburbs, Marseille, Lyon. And these are fairly uh, poor uh, environment that they grow up on with, with a lot of violence and crime. Mm. They suddenly start earning hundreds of thousands, millions of euros. And there are not a lot, awful lot of people who are thinking, well, hold on, I'd like a little bit of that. It sounds very much like we're in that sort of uh, scenario here. Mm, absolutely. And have any of these characters that he talks about been uh, approached or arrested or anything like that? Not as far as I know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the police wouldn't advertise it if they'd done so. Mm. I'm sure they would rather that this didn't hadn't become public and they were able to operate uh, um, a bit more discreetly. We know that Paul Pogba is being questioned by the police. Uh, I imagine that Matthias, his brother, who seems to be at the centre of all this, will be questioned as well. Um, and no doubt they will be trying to find the, 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 the Paul Pogba's school friends as he said which can't be, can't be very difficult to mm. find and the two people who he alleges um were there with assault rifles as well uh i'm sure that we'll be seeing more people hauled in for questioning over this uh in the coming weeks and possibly months yeah absolutely right fascinating stuff well listen uh, adam thank you very much for explaining it all to us adam sage the times paris correspondent uh with this incredible story about paul Pogba, a superstar player for Manchester United amongst other teams of course and France um, uh, but basically in the end um, he's being he's being blackmailed for something like 13 million euros by guys who say they protected him for the last 13 years including uh, while he was in Manchester who knows what goes on in that incredible world of football Mike says Adrian in Daventry the energy companies say they are raising their prices so we the customers because the wholesale price has risen if that is true then their profits should be taking a hit let's see how many of them make record profits at the end of their financial year if they do they should be taken to book they need to be named and shamed so people can decide who ripped them off when this thing all passes well apparently it's complicated right because the people who are making all the massive profits are the exploration companies the oil and gas companies you know like Shell like like uh, Amoco and all of the big oil exploration companies and the people who actually get the stuff out of the ground. The people who claim they're not making money are the sort of Scottish powers of this world and the people who deliver the electricity to us, having got it powered up from some gas or oil 
source. So it's all very complex. Let's talk to Simon, who's in Basingstoke. Hello, Simon. Mike. How are you uh, doing? I'm very well, thank you. I I think that a lot of these issues that we're facing, you know, the the problems can solve each other. Uh, I mean, the energy issue... Well, this country's got 100 to 150 years uh, reserves of coal. So what the new government should do is obviously abandon its net zero target, but, but basically say this, this situation could go on for years. So let's start building some coal-fired power stations and start using coal that we can source from, in, from inside the UK. Yes. Well, wouldn't it have been nice if instead of um, having to rebuild some coal-fired power stations, we actually had some that we could just reopen? Because, as Peter Hitchens has often said, uh, a lot of the things that we did have like that have been destroyed. They blow them up. They don't well, even but... just decommission them or shut them down. They blow them up. Well, it, it, to be honest, I mean, there's the, the big example is Drax, which uh, was converted from a coal fire power station to burning wood pellets because that was meant to be yes. sustainable. But we import the, the wood pellets from the US. I mean, to be honest, the, 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 the British Civil Service, and in fact, I think it was the first national security advisor said this in an interview I saw with him. He actually said that we're really not good at looking risk. Yeah. And, and look at Liz Truss. Liz Truss is saying we're going to treat China as an enemy, which is effectively what they are. Well, you can't sanction China. If you sanction China, China produces 95% of the raw materials that go into antibiotics. Mm. It's the sole source. So what are you going to tell, tell people? Will uh, Taiwan, uh, China blockades Taiwan for six months. We're not going to have any antibiotics Antibiotics for three months, yeah. six months, nine months, a year, and people are going to die from minor infections. So what this government needs to do is, the NHS is a brilliant example. The NHS is the largest purchaser of medical equipment and drugs in the world. Does it use that leverage in the marketplace? Does it say, well, let's source things like surgical instruments mm. from the UK? No, it doesn't. We buy them from Pakistan. We buy our drugs from India. Why are we doing that? What this, and this is the issue with the Conservatives. Industrial power is the most important thing a country mm. can have. Yes, but we haven't had it for a very long time because along with most of the world, including the United States to a lesser extent, um, everything's outsourced to somewhere cheaper. And now, even in America, people are starting to say, maybe we need to start producing more of our own stuff. Well, exactly. But what's the best way of doing that? Is it fiddling with the tax system? No. The best way of doing that is to have ultra low energy prices. And that's what the that's what not just energy independence, but let's have the lowest energy prices in the world. And then watch watch as industries like aluminium smelting, pharmaceutical industries, all of these industries flock to the UK. And that's how to deliver the levelling up agenda. And we can do that. Initial phase, build coal-fired power stations, allow fracking. The gas from fracking can be used in the existing natural gas power plants. Rolls-Royce is the furthest along with the small modular reactors. Mm. Say to them, we want you to build 30 small modular reactors. We're going to fully fund you to do this. We're going to have localised energy supplies, in, especially in places like the north of England. Your energy prices will be pennies, not, not pounds per unit. Yeah. And that's the same thing's going to apply. And if they did that, this economy would grow so quickly that we would just literally, we'd wipe the floor with everybody else in Europe. Because anyone who hangs on to this net zero approach is, is, is absolutely, they are, their economies are 
I'd would love. I mean, I'd love to think that you're right in what you say, but I just can't see any of them at the moment even giving up. I mean, Liz Truss is the closest person to saying that we might suspend some of the actual levies, but there's no sign of anybody giving up on net zero. I'm afraid, Simon. Thank you very much indeed. Um, all of that, of course, is quite a long way off, and that is part of the problem. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Coming up, uh, we can speak to Rupert Bell. We'll ask him what he thought uh, of the Boris Johnson years. Uh, and also, of course, we'll take more of your calls. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here at Talk TV. We've had some fascinating calls today, some amazing pieces of information imparted to us. Um, Borealis uh, says this, I've been a nurse for 30 years and bed blocking has been a problem since then. It is not a new problem. The NHS needs to look at its groupthink management and sort that out first and foremost. I think there's no question uh, about the people working on the front line like uh, Wendy, who just called in uh, from Weymouth. Was it Wendy? No, I think it was from uh, for the, the, the lady who called in from Weymouth, anyway, who said basically, look, you know, we are getting a lot of abuse. We do our jobs very well, Cathy in Weymouth, sorry. Um, and we shouldn't be treated like this. And I totally agree. People should not be getting abuse at work. That's wrong. However, the NHS needs to recognise that people are unhappy, unsatisfied, and have no faith in it anymore. So it's their fault. They need to sort it out. Right now, though, I'm delighted to say uh, we're going over to Charlotte Lucy Edwards, Assistant Technology and Science Editor at The Sun, because she's in sunny Florida, Cape Canaveral to be precise, ahead of the launch of the rocket Artemis and a whole new era of space exploration. Charlotte, a very good morning to you where you are. Uh, it's a bit early there. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm OK, Mike. I've been here since midnight. NASA wanted to get us here very early, but it's looking like the rocket launch is going to be pushed back a bit further than 8.33 a.m. Eastern time, which is what they were aiming for originally. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, that's not that surprising. I mean, I've been at many of these events and we've watched many of them in the past in previous sort of, you know, rocket rocket eras. And, and quite often the weather delayed it or something else delayed it or something went slightly wrong. So, so I dare say it will be going up soon. But it's a fascinating sort of new era of space, isn't it? Because this is the first rocket that fired, that's been fired up into space for many a year. Yeah, so Artemis 1 is basically the first moon mission like this that NASA has done in over 50 years. So it's a groundbreaking mission. If it does happen today, we're going to be witnessing a piece of history. And then Artemis 2, which is scheduled for 2024, should take four astronauts around the moon. And then Artemis 3 should put the first woman and the first person of color on the moon. So it really is a groundbreaking launch today and a nail-binding launch because fueling doesn't seem to be going quite as planned right now so nasa is still hoping to launch today but if they don't launch today they will have to push it back to early september right and it's unusually fueled isn't it it's got liquid hydrogen uh, 537,000 gallons of it i'm told here uh, which is frozen at sort of minus 423 degrees incredible yeah so it's liquid hydrogen and oxygen so they've been fueling the tanks all morning we've been watching that eagerly in the newsroom waiting for any updates and it was the liquid hydrogen that had a problem there was a leak there was a crack apparently and they were trying to find the leak and sort it out both fuel tanks are full now but they seem to be bleeding them to try and sort out another situation so nasa does have their hands cut out but they seem to be fixing it they're very determined that they will launch and they will try and launch today right and it's a fascinating part of the world that isn't it i remember um chasing a space shuttle believe it or not which was coming into land one time and i was driving as it was coming into land and i was supposed to talk to the astronauts as they got off but there's something sort of magical about cape canaveral isn't there 
it is quite magical. There are a lot of mosquitoes right now, but the sunrise was amazing. Um, just seeing the rocket with your own eyes is amazing. I was lucky enough to go down to the launch pad and see it up close. And now I'm about three miles away. It's about the closest distance I can be to be safe for the launch. And it is, it's truly stunning. It's an amazing place to be. Yes. And it's going to go farther uh, from Earth in parts because there's something called Orion, which is like the, the rocket, like all rockets, I guess, breaks up at certain points. And Orion uh, is going to be um, sent elsewhere, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so we've got the space launch system, which is going to rocket the Orion capsule up out of our atmosphere. And then it's the Orion capsule, that small piece at the top, which is actually going to shoot around the dark side of the moon, hopefully come back to Earth and let us know lots of data that it's found out so we can finally get a woman and the first person of colour back on the moon. Right. And I'm told that there's a few things on board that might be surprising to people. Alexa uh, is going up on it, so presumably you'll be able to shout instructions to things. Snoopy as well, the Peanuts comic character, soft toy, is going to be up there as well. And they're going to use Snoopy, I think, to test gravity and stuff, aren't they? Yes, Snoopy is there. Sean the Sheep is also going. There's also two fake female human torsos because they're testing space radiation on women in space because we don't know a lot about that at the moment. So there's several different items on the Orion capsule. Even though it's unmanned, there is a lot on there. Okay. And I mean, obviously, there's not necessarily a British connection to this at the moment. But a lot of people are telling me that if the space program is successful and it continues for a few years, there will be a lot of jobs created here. There'll be a lot of companies providing, um, you know, uh, services and, and products, if you like, to the space mission. Yeah, so the European Space Agency is hugely involved in this. They are a large part of getting the Orion capsule up and around the moon. So Europe is definitely involved. And hopefully with the success of this mission, we will get the first person from Europe to stand on the moon as well. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because for years, NASA was kind of underfunded. They decided it wasn't the right thing to do um, to explore space anymore. Uh, We've seen crafts going into Mars. We've seen rovers wandering around on Mars. But people kind of gave gave up on it for a while. Why was why was NASA kind of given this new project, do you think? It does depend on what president is in charge at the time and how much funding they give to NASA. So it was actually Obama that said that he wanted to go back to the moon and then from the moon to Mars. So Mm. that is what Artemis is about. It's not just about the moon. Hopefully we're going to see humans on Mars with this Artemis mission. Yeah. Well, I mean, the way things are going here, as uh, Isabel Oakeshott said, we might all want to go and live on the moon because it might actually be cheaper uh, than the way it's going in this country at the moment. You never know. Yeah, absolutely right. So when do you think we'll know for sure whether the launch has been postponed properly or whether it's just going to be postponed for a few hours? When when, when are we likely to know that? So they're still counting down right now. They've still got the countdown clock on. I think we might know in the next hour or two whether it is going to go ahead because, as you know, with Florida, the weather does get worse in the afternoon in the summertime. So they're not going to want to launch in stormy weather. So it is going to be this morning that we find out okay well listen uh, i'm sure we'll talk to you again and uh, we may even talk to you again tomorrow if there's uh, uh, if there's an update but if you are there when it does go off i dare say we'll be seeing you later on this afternoon as well here on talk tv charlotte great to see you thank you very much indeed charlotte edwards reporting in there from cape canaveral uh, the site 
of Artemis uh, 1, which is due to go off. It was originally due to go off around about 1.30 hour time. That seems to have been postponed for the moment. Uh, Charlotte is the Assistant Technology and Science Editor at The Sun. It's a whole new era of space exploration, which a lot of people are really very much into, I have to say. Um, how about this from uh, Helen, who says, Prince Harry, uh, I may be totally wrong, but Harry doesn't resemble any other royal family member. Could he be the product of his mother's affair with James Hewitt? Well, we've already been through that one, Helen, and down that road. He is definitely not. Uh, and it has been proven. In fact, we'll be talking to Robert Jobson, uh, who's been a royal correspondent and a royal author for many a year, uh, and he categorically denies that that's the case. How about this for people who remember Boris Johnson? Phil says, I will remember Boris for his green zealotry and impoverishment. Mr Grumpy says, Boris Johnson promised everything, delivered nothing. We're going to talk to Nick Dubois, who's going to be coming in very shortly. He, of course, uh, is taking over from Ian Collins at one o'clock. Uh, you've then uh, got Richard Tyson doing Drive this week from four. Uh, and then we'll go all the way through uh, to the news desk at seven. Uh, Jeremy Carl, who is in for Piers Morgan on Piers Morgan Uncensored tonight from eight. Uh, he'll be joined by me amongst other people. Uh, I'll be talking to him about the big stories of the day. And then it's the talk, of course, at nine o'clock as well. Daisy McAndrew at ten. It's all happening, uh, including space, the final frontier. Could be this afternoon. This is Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.